0: Welcome to The New Era by Web3 Connect. We're helping you break barriers and build brands in Web3, the next generation of internet. Hi everyone, welcome back. Today we are interviewing PG, who provides consulting services to NFT projects currently as a hobby outside of his full-time traditional corporate job. He brings years of experience with advisory on business strategies, sustainable growth tactics, and helping companies define their brand, pinpoint their vision, and execute it while still keeping in mind the end user experience. He's taken these transferable skills into Web3 to begin building a name for himself and his agency, PG Consulting. He He also enjoys one-of-one art collection and is quickly becoming a trusted voice in the Solana Twitter sphere to start conversations about where projects can improve, how founders can do better, and what we need to do as a community to create a better future in Web3. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Alrighty. So we have PG joining us today for an interview. He has a very unique perspective on all things in the NFT space. Does a little bit of consulting, advising, but I won't get too much into it. I'll pass it over to you, PG, to tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, thanks, Aurora. Hello, my name is PG. What do I do? So in real life, what I do at this point in time is I currently consult with a lot of senior executives. And really that's around digital technology innovations and strategies, generally either at a business level or functional level or even at an architecture level. And basically the customers that I deal with on a day to day basis are public sector, government organizations, state and federal, and then also large enterprise customers as well in, in Australia. So either they're headquartered here in Australia. generally out across the globe. But really, you know, most of my organizations I deal with are, you know, 1,000 seat plus organizations. And and a lot of what we do is talk about, you know, how do you deliver on these projects? What is the effort? What is the sort of change of doc? What is that strategy? And then how are we going to make it basically work into realization? My largest customer that I deal with quite regularly is about $47 billion. That's their, that's their turnover revenue. I think they've got about 27,000 staff so yeah that's kind of who I am I've kind of you know as a hobby I like to play the tuba I'm a tuba player I have a beautiful wife and two kids I have been in this space for probably about a good two years now within crypto and, and web3 NFT is probably around six months now I did take a break during Christmas just to get away from it all and I've come back in about January so that's a little bit about me
0: Awesome. Jack of all trades. You play the tuba too. I did not know that. That's awesome. <laughs> That's
1: right. We, we march.
0: Very cool. Very cool. How has it been with being able to balance family life and your, you know, in real life, full time, traditional job, as well as kind of what you're doing in, in Web3? How have you sort of like found a balance with all of that stuff?
1: That is a good challenge. The good thing about work where where I work is I am able to work from home, it is flexible so I don't really have nine to five hours where what I do for my real life job. In terms of balancing the kids and the workday that's that's obviously a bit of a challenge but really what I've learned is that for me to kind of really get involved in this space I I do have to follow American times which means I do get up quite early. So whilst I do wake up at 4 a.m. sometimes I go to bed at 9 p.m. So My days are long, but what you need in life is a balance of work, relationships, and something that you enjoy. And to me at the moment, hobbies are NFTs and also playing in my band. So yeah, just trying to balance it between when you have the time, when Mm -hmm. you need to make the time.
0: I think that's so important because I know I've definitely had experience where I get so caught up in my traditional day job where I forget to do things that I enjoy, right? And have hobbies that I'm actually passionate about and interested in doing. So that's so important to maintain productivity. I know I've seen a lot about PG consulting on your Twitter page and whatnot. Like when did you start consulting in the Web3 space? And what was sort of the driving factor for you to start that initiative?
1: Yeah, no, look, I started the consultancy probably about early February. So about two months now, it's it's kind of been going for. And I've probably had about 15 separate meetings with different projects and founders. The reason why I, I kind of got into it was in my, in my real life job, I work in a lot of the, you know, as you can call the web two space you know, centralized platforms and services. And I see there is a really good opportunity in front of everyone to look at how Web3, Web3, in my view, is a decentralized version of the internet based on blockchain technology and has a focus on user ownership. And I think there's a big opportunity in front of all of us that we can kind of grab and take, very similar to the days of 2004, where there was cloud transformation as well. You know, here we are in 2022 and we're still doing cloud. So I think we're on the very start of the journey And in terms of my consulting, I was kind of getting a little bit personally frustrated that I do like the space and all I see is. Pixelated art, ah, 1,000, you know, whitelist only. You must jump in now to the Discord private link, all that kind of thing. And I just thought, guys, you're missing the point here. That's not how we should be advertising. That's not how we should be doing things. And I also think it was a combination of noticing there's a lot of people that were younger in the space, and, and and being younger as well made it a bit more difficult to understand how do you actually not just provide a roadmap and a vision, it's how do you execute and deliver on that? And I think that's where a lot of people stumble in this space. And and Presents that sort of risk and behaviors that we see with the flipping mentality and investment too. So, really, it was kind of a a desire of mine to bring what I know in what I do in my real life and try and help those people in tease. The the other part to it as well is, you know, this is a little bit selfish for me. I don't like the whitelist grinds. If I can help other projects, then they help me out too. So, it was a little bit of a cheeky kind of personality, personal thing too.
2: So really good point, PG. I wanted to ask you, so earlier just now you said like Thousand Supply whitelist only, get in now, that kind of movement is bad. Generally speaking, I, I would mostly agree with you, but you said that they're missing the point. Can you touch on what you see as the point? What should these collections, what should they be aiming for when they're creating a collection?
1: That's a good question. Uh, from my view, it's really, you know, what is your product? What is your service? And probably what I also mean by the thousand only, whitelist only, discord only kind of discussions are really driven by, I don't know what your white paper is. I don't know what your product is. I don't know what your value is and why the market needs or wants your product. And equally, why would they use your service? I don't know the answers to that. And how how can I make a decision on that? You know, in, In normal circumstances, you need to define what that product is, where you fit why you're relevant and and how you're going to make it before you get anywhere near sort of advertising and branding perspective. And I think it's somehow we're doing the opposite. We're branding and showing what what may happen. And and that's not the best behavior is to invest in a so this Interesting
2: out. you say that. I think there's a really fine line there as well, in the sense that, like, what what if it was a small collection, maybe 500 to 1000, that was community oriented, like value oriented, for example, like they, they care about cultivating a community of people that share values x, y, and z, right? And like, that's kind of the way that they brand themselves, they don't necessarily have a product market fit. But to the extent that people care about joining that community, doesn't that also give it value inherently? So I'm just curious how that fits in there.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I'm all for projects that have a community group of uh, like-minded people. That is a product, in my view, and it is or, or a service. You know, it, it's very easy for me to go. Oh, there's a membership-based organization that has like-minded people that talk about sport, crypto. You know, they want to have a mutual fund to then go buy some art. That's that's entirely relevant too. So that to me is a product or a service. It's the ones where I'm probably more generalizing the the view of those projects that don't have anything at all, or, or don't really advertise what they're doing. They're the ones that I go, well, I'm sorry, that's not a project in my view.
2: I completely agreed. I th- I think that was really well put.
0: I know, and we've talked a lot about one-on-one just... How this space, the Solana NFT space, is very young, very immature in a sense. And there are things that can, of course, be optimized in any industry, but particularly in one that's so young and new. I guess, what has sort of made you want to stick around? You know, you've been in crypto for two years and NFTs for six months. Like, what's been the driving factor that has kept you here for so long?
1: There's probably a few answers to that. You know, there's one being a hobby outside of what I currently do in my normal work balance. You always have work balance. So to me, this is something that I enjoy doing, looking at, you know, art, looking at projects. There's that side. I also enjoy technology side. I think that I'm a bit of a nerd knowing, well, in terms of art, the fact that we can have digital ownership and own something and then trade and, you know, provide royalties back to those people, I think that is a, a great thing. So it's the technology. And look, I don't think we can also ignore the fact that crypto does provide an opportunity financially for a lot of people that couldn't make it into the property boom, the the stock market boom and things like that. Whilst I am 31, I'm still relatively young and I've missed a lot of what older generations have had in front of them, especially in Australia. So I think it's probably a bit a mixture of the opportunity that presents itself that you don't normally get within this kind of space, the technology itself. And and probably more most importantly is the community. I think when I got into this space it was more very much around just the technology and the pixelated art and what what that could mean. But I've made a lot of friendships in this space too. I don't think people realise that when you join a Discord and you contribute to that Discord that you you do make friendships, you do get to people who know you, and you know, they talk on your social media, you know, and a lot of that is not based on the project either. You know, there's a lot of support. There's a lot of people that are happy to talk to you, you know, on personal situations or experiences. So I think it's a mixture of community, technology and the opportunity that our generation can get as well. I couldn't agree more. And
2: I know that's very much the case with the Soul Army as well. And that's why it's been so interesting watching how it's developed. And I know that you have a role on the spec ops team within the army. Can you touch on kind of what the vision of the spec ops is, what they're aiming to do and how do you fit
1: into that role? So so the Soul Army's objective is to look at future brand within the Solana ecosystem and, and they have obviously different branches to, towards doing certain tasks, one being the academy. Now the spec, the spec ops side really is driven by partnerships, innovation and acceleration. Or basically, even new, upcoming, or existing projects. What steered me towards that sort of um, direction to kind of assist Paul and the team there is driven by very much what what I do in my normal consultancy you know, and talk to project owners and founders around how they do things. And and really, there is so, there is a structure behind this. So you know, we, we do have views around, we, we do add intake. It's bi monthly. There would be a report that comes back to them relating to you know, you know what I call in, in real life red, amber, green. There's a bit of a scoring system there. And then really, once we kind of feel comfortable with each other through a bit of a discovery phase, we then go through a bit of a acceleration phase, which is based off in real life techniques of, you know, agile delivery over a few weeks, you know, and and another part of why we've designed it in a way is that I think people forget sometimes that when you build out a, an offering or a service, you've also got to look at your capacity and your limitations within the group and how many people you have. And you you don't want to burn them out. And you also don't want to have a, and impact to quality of delivery. So, you know, that's why there's ways that we've been managing this in a first month is discovery and talking and evaluating. And the second month is delivery. Now you could argue though that sometimes that's not the best thing when you talk about NFTs or a week by week basis or a day by day basis. But in the end, you know, we're not looking for those day by day projects. We're looking for projects that will establish themselves long term. Me being part of the team is just to bring my sort of skill sets and my knowledge to that team. And not only that, but to help curate those uh, up-and-coming projects that want to know a few things or understand what they're missing. Sometimes the projects could be well-established. I've noticed that in my consulting that they they are really well-established. They know what they want to do. And rather than me trying to tell them what to do, it's really, well, hang on, have you thought about these things? Or why didn't you think about these things? Or bring different lenses to why they're doing that. A, a great example is a lot of projects get really kind of blinker-focused. They They know what they want to do and they focus heavily on on that task or that objective and sometimes it's just sometimes best to take your head out and go well is that right am i doing it right and and always challenge yourself the spec ops does give an opportunity for me to and and a group of people you know i think we're looking to bring in about five to ten consultants as well into the group so it's also you know working with like-minded people like myself and also improving my craft and also coaching the others as well
2: I couldn't agree more. And I think you touched on an absolutely crucial point, which has spawned a lot of development in the whole NFT ecosystem recently, which is that like within one particular project, there are limitations. There are limitations to how many people you can reach, to how much revenue you can actually generate, because you can only generate so much secondary volume royalties from from one collection. But when you think about what one project Specializes in could they partner with another project trying to do something similar, all centered around a single coin, just like Board API Club is doing with. I think it was Yuga Labs that acquired what was it, CryptoPunks, and I think Mebits as well, right? Something like that. So they're trying to build this whole little ecosystem now, and each part of the ecosystem kind of specializing not not even specializing, but like. They've accomplished something that maybe another collection hasn't accomplished in that ecosystem. And you can kind of leverage the strengths of each of those different unique points of the collection into a greater picture. So I'm curious, do you see the soul army going in that direction at all? And are there any like ecosystems kind of like that in the Solana space right now that you have your eye on?
1: Probably the best way to start that, you know, to answer that is I think there's a opportunity uh, in in the Solana ecosystem, where there's already a lot of communities and DAOs being formed or, or have been formed over the last few months, I, I see a trend shifting towards more brands in the future, and, and I think we're seeing that now very much with Board Ape Yacht Club, and Yuga Labs, where it's about formulating a brand with a certain amount of you know capacity or skill sets or you know what's that value. I think what what I'm starting to see is You know, Solami is probably very much likely going to go down that path. I think there's a lot of other Solana projects that are looking to build out a brand. Generally more the the blue chips. And I see that we will move towards an ecosystem in maybe six to 12 months where you will have established, not, I wouldn't call them blue chips. I'll call them more brands within the, in the Solana ecosystem that will have launch pads. It will have tools for its members. It will have whitelists for its members that they've curated within those different groups. And so I think organically, blue-chip projects will start to branch out to become that sort of brand in the future. And I think Solami will, will be one, and I think there's many others starting to do that
0: too. That 100% makes sense. And one of the communities that come to mind for me, as you are explaining that, is Stoned Ape Crew with just everything they're doing with their online like cannabis and CBD merch store. They're looking to even open a coffee shop, I think. They're looking to do in-real-life events. Like They're building an entire enterprise around their NFT, and they have the loyal community base to make it successful. Along the same vein of branding, you've done a really incredible job branding yourself in your consulting services. And one of the biggest things we preach at Web3 Connect is like our motto is breaking barriers, building brands. And so I'm curious to hear a little bit about your thought process and sort of the steps that you went through to determine your strategy of branding yourself and the consulting services come into that. You know, I know you're a one out of one art collector and just being that sort of mature voice for the Solana ecosystem. Like those are all aspects that I've noticed are very present in your online presence. So can you talk a little bit about how you you've gone about branding yourselves in such a solid way?
1: I guess the first thing you need to determine, if you're going to go down a path of, you know, doing your own brand or your across socials, across other things, is looking at what do you bring to that ecosystem, and and you know. First thing I thought about was, well, I I have experience. I I understand how to deliver a project. I can take an overall strategic view as to what's the user experience, why are we doing it, what's the reason for it, how are you going to do it? So I already had a view of what I could bring to this. So the first step you should always do is think about what you can bring and why would people listen to you or want to respond or interact with you. Once you kind of have a a, a bit of an understanding of what you can bring to this space, then what I decided to do was go, okay, well, my content needs to reflect that. So I don't do a lot of posts that have a lot of conversations in them. A lot of my initial and early posts were very much driven by key lessons or thoughts that I had. And it was really targeted towards those people within the Twitter sphere that wanted to hear about that or learn it or want to take a different view you know i think there was a i think from memory when i started my whole feed was like retweet subscribe you will make it you've made a white list it was all giveaways it was just flooded with that and so for me it was you know what no i'm not going to do that i'm going to flood my social network with my thoughts comparing the two and trying to mature the conversation. So that was probably the first step that I was working towards in, in having a different conversation or at least offering a different conversation to other people who, want, who had the same frustrations as me. So that's probably the first thing you need to think about is the communication strategy and how you're going to do that. And then from there, honestly, you may laugh at this and it, it makes me laugh too, actually. It cost me $14 on Fiverr to get someone to do three designs of a logo and of a brand. You know, I could go tomorrow and spend... $80 on an intro and outro professionally done. All I've got to do is upload five photos and put five words to it. And I think people forget that if you look at that in terms of a Fiverr context, it cost me, what, 0.1 soul to do? You know, I'm talking about in soul dollars. That's cheap. You know, we're spending 10 soul on a pixelated soul gods. You know, obviously there's a, I'm not trying to dig anyone, but I'm just saying that Think about it realistically by going, well, if it's only going to cost me this much money, do a brand, why wouldn't you, in my view? So, especially if you're serious about it. But then also what it also does is once you have a brand that is elevated with that sort of image, With that sort of communication, organically, you see a lot more people join and listen to you only because it's, oh, this is different. Oh, I want to know this. And so it's very easy once you've got those steps in place to grow your brand. And then once you've kind of settled down, it then starts to accelerate a bit more because then you have a lot more projects talking to you and saying, can you help me? And that only builds your brand out further. So I think to answer your question around how I've done it, it was really, what can I bring? How can I communicate that clearly and effectively? And then how can I then do that in a way that, has a brand and that matures that. So that's kind of what I've done. I will be honest with you. I did make quite a big change three weeks ago to my branding, and that's another part to this. You need to make sure you you continuously evolve and change with the market. So initially, I did start with a more corporate, professional style brand. It did okay. I started to notice that it wasn't more of a human element. So I've actually changed it more to pixelated art with lots of colors. And and I've noticed I've had more success and traction from that sort of branding than the professional sort of branding. It seems to me that a lot more people in this space are more accepting of that sort of colorful nature of that sort of, you know, we don't want corporate. We don't want that sort of stuff. We want to kind of have fun as we do it. And I've noticed success out of that. So, you know, there is also a need to change how you do things so that you you become more accepted as well. The In terms of the art collecting, I'm starting that quite new as well. And very similar, I have a position in the market that I think is not, you know, I think there's something that's been missing. And so a lot of my posts around one-of-one one art collecting is about those sort of questions in the market that I have. And it also gives me a position in the market of what I think.
2: I was going to say, I'm just impressed with, The color scheme of your Twitter profile, I don't know it's a small thing, but you have the little blue horn next to your name and then you have, is that the Art by Beth um, background on your Twitter banner with the PG logo in front?
1: No, so the latest background is actually an artwork done by Wilson Ray. He's got about five to ten of them and so that's also promoting him as an artist.
2: So I wanted to to ask you about that too like so a couple things here is I personally don't think that projects are doing enough to brand themselves in a healthy way that communicates core valuable values that's its own thing and the other thing why is it not more common that We'll see a page where any community has all their brands or all those values listed. Like It's pretty common in the corporate world where you'll have like the whole document of all the values that they want their employees to live by, and then management doesn't really promote it from the top down. You don't really get to live that. But in this situation, the community is the one that has ownership in the whole thing. They're the ultimate deciders of how a project moves and if if it's done well and executed well, decently, of course. And I'm curious why that's not more prevalent now. And then one more thing is I wanted to get your sense of like, are one-to-one artists branding themselves well? Are they building loyal followings? And what do you see there?
1: So I think there's probably two things. I think what I've noticed when I read or review a project, I've noticed a majority of people that are building projects are trying to fund their aspiration or fund their dream. Whether that's reality, that's another matter. I think a lot of people are going, "I I want to fund this. I want to do this. I don't have money, I don't have a team to do it, but I want to do that and I'll use my brain and my ecosystem to try and go for that. And I think they can't really define Find the values and the objectives that soon, because they're trying to promote, they're trying to advertise what it could be. And It's only until pretty much once they've got money, they've got funding, they can start peeling that back and saying, "Oh, now let's think about these things." I think that's what what happens in a lot of projects. A lot of projects are minted because they're looking at the, you know, I need the artwork, I need the supply. We're going to create a DAO. We're going to build a game in Q4 all those sort of things and i think the first thing that a project needs to do is sell out or at least get to that level or everyone's going to assume it's a rug or it's it's a failed project and i think because of all these behaviors that have kind of culminated into this sort of complex situation everyone's just going straight through with the especially with the the mindset of a, an nft sort of collector or an investor is it's every five minutes so you've got to be in and out very quickly i'll get the whitelist. i'll jump into the discord yep sign me up, I'm happy with that. And it makes it very hard for not only the founder, but also everyone to kind of agree on what those set principles are. And I think the what I've noticed is a lot of projects have commenced, they've got the people, they've got the community, and then they start reworking backwards on that. And And I've noticed that that takes a longer time. And I think that also impacts community sentiment. Sometimes the sentiment of people go, well, why are we not delivering? What's going on? Why are we going back to the drawing board? So there's a lot of issues around how that is. In, in my view, you should always start with objectives and values even before you do a mint. That's kind of traditionally how I've done things and how I've seen things in real life space, especially with the customers I deal with. You need to have an objective. You need to have a vision of where you want to get to. You need to have the values that you as an organization want to strive to achieve. Because that, to me, is critical in the subscribers or the investors knowing what they're buying into and why they're buying into that. In terms of the collectors side, I know that I've been a bit of a, a critical voice. I know a lot of people think I'm a, I'm, I'm negative towards artists. Uh, I love the one of one art collecting. Um, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, as I said, I'm a musician. I, I appreciate art. I, I love understanding what the artist has done to go through that. I also appreciate that the work has gone in for an artist to do that and they, they need to be rewarded or valued for that. I've also found that if you steer away from the utility project side, which is very, I would say, degenerate, there's a lot of heavy people folk, it's, it's, I would say it's kind of more negative than positive on that side. Whereas at least in the art community once you purchase someone's art they are so happy with you they they almost have bought a, uh, probably 10 pieces of art already and they immediately message you on discord and say thanks for buying my art this is so great i'm so happy they retweet it it's a great experience in, in my view and it highlights what what blockchain is and, and what digital ownership could be and so to me i'm i'm very happy to do that uh, i love collecting art, but then equally I do find that there is a very low maturity there. Not, I know I'm talking about the majority, not the minority. There's a lot of good artists out there at the moment that are branding themselves, creating collections, you know, creating those relationships with their collectors and between the artists and the collectors. So I think there's a lot of good things happening. I think there's a lot of people who, who do art for the sake of a release that's what they like to do that's how they want to do it where they struggle is how do they then market it brand it and I'm, I'm all for people drawing as a release and, and, and sharing it and trying to you know, get people to buy it but I think there's a big issue in the marketplace at the moment where a lot of focus is on art and artists there's not a lot of attention towards the collector you know for me is how am I going to buy it because in art sense It's about the value of the art that we buy. You know, does it tell a story? Is there a a shortage of collection? You know, if there's only five within the collection of this artist, I've got one of those five, which means that I'm special. If someone else wants one of those five, they've got to buy it off me. You've got to create that sort of value and that wealth associated to the art. And I think that is not really being defined or well thought of at a majority level within the space. And, you know, a a great example is I might buy something and go, Oh, I like this. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to hold it. And, you know, maybe it's going to add to my wealth in the future. But if I start seeing that same artist every day release another one and then another one and then another one, they may have 500 pieces of art. So why would someone buy my art? If I if I want to have that as a you know value is only based off what someone will buy from you for it. But if you're creating too many, it's going to make it a lot harder for a collector to sell that. And that's what I'm referring to in they the haven't thought through the collector mindset. They're talking about the art and how great it is and how many they're doing. But very similar to a utility project, what is the supply? What is the the collection supposed to be? What's the story behind that? Those things I think haven't been well defined yet to some degree.
0: Yeah, all very valid points. I think a lot of what you just touched on honed in on the different components of how to be successful in the NFT space, whether you're a one-of-one artist or a project with an entire team backing you, right? There's that planning and the laying out your roadmap that you touched on, the branding aspect framing and documenting your core values, what you want that culture to look like. And then kind of that last piece of that strategy around scarcity, supply and demand. I think community is another big aspect of that and like building out a strong community, which I think a lot of those things sort of tie into in a way. But from your perspective, what are the most important things to keep in mind when you're building out that strong community? And like, how can somebody go about doing that and building that sort of loyal consumer base?
1: There's many different ways you can create a good community. There's different sorts of communities and different sorts of ways you can manage it. I think because of the market that we're in with people in hundreds of discords just throwing their name in the ring as a, as a whitelist opportunity and or, or artificially typing in messages just so they can get a whitelist or to show that provide an activity... I think those behaviors make it very difficult to build a community. And and I think the only way or the only successes that I'm seeing of communities that have built up a brand or built up a a loyal following is because they've identified what their value is, what their product is, what their service is, and what they're trying to achieve. I feel that until you have that defined and known… You will never have a stable community or at least a a group of like-minded people to build that out. And I think that's why it's good to focus on community, but you should always, in my view, that's secondary to the product and the service. Because by the time you've developed your product or your service, you would already know what the gap in the market is, why it's important to people, and how it's going to help people. You can't answer those questions at the start and you won't get the community in the, in, in the end. And equally, I think the, the community is acceptance of your business proposition or your project proposition. That also talks to the, the issue that we're seeing at the moment in the market where there's like and retweet to get into a Discord in those sort of meta spaces at the moment. I think there's that sort of huge hype to bring people into a Discord when there's no project definition. And and to me, that's why a lot of them are valid.
0: Yeah, no, great points. There's a lot that can be improved in this space for sure, but a lot that we also have going for us as well. And I think one of the biggest things we're trying to achieve with the podcast is not only giving people insight into just the brains and the perspectives of established people in this space, such as yourself, but also giving them insight into the day to day of what those people actually do in web three. And I feel like we might have hit on it a little bit in your when you were explaining your consulting services towards the beginning, but could you just elaborate a little on as a project advisor or consultant in the web three space, like what does an average day in the life look like for you
1: a lot of the work that I do with in, in real life relates to a project that is going to be built. So, you know, it could be a, a health provider building a data analytics platform, it could be a university building out a uh, an IT operations, service requirement. There's many different elements that I work with in different organizations. But generally what happens within a project, you have to always start with a, a design. You know, what do we all agree with the design? What are we building? You know, are we building something? Is it going to be done within a park or a proof of concept? Is it going to be something we can just go straight to production? So you've always got to do a design upfront of something, of what it's going to look like and what we all agree to. Generally, those things can take two weeks, you know, through different series of workshops. Then from there, you've got to go into a build stage of how we're going to build that and how long is going to take to build and what is the team across both the design and builds that need to be formulated and costed to do those activities. And then once it's been built, how are we going to implement it? Who's going to operate it and who's going to manage and maintain it? So you've got to go through all those different processes. Whether that's going to be uh, an application that you're building and developing or whether that's a service offering that you're providing to a customer, whether that's security related, whether that's IT related, whether that's architecture related, all those different things matter. When I deal with my customers day to day, it's in the design phase you would say, well, who needs to be part of that? Well, you'll always need a project manager or a project lead or someone that can manage the core team to deliver on those deliverables and those outcomes. And generally you need a, a senior consultant or a principal consultant the one that's more technical focused. So it could either be just a consultant, it could be a solutions architect. And Then most of the customers I deal with, you need a business analyst to understand the, the business requirements and how they translate to the technology requirements. And then you probably need maybe a, a lower level developer just to help build out those things. You don't need the principle to build it out. You need someone that's pretty cheaper to build that and show them what that looks like. So I guess you know a lot of what I deal with building out and commercializing these sort of opportunities and conversations is generally a team is between four to five people. And then as you grow it out and realize, no, this is bigger than what we thought it is, we need two or three developers. And if, you know what, we haven't thought about UX. Where does UX fit within this? How are we gonna design the user experience and tell that? You always need to do UX up front in any sort of app development space because you don't want to get them involved halfway through because then you're going to have reworks. You're going to have a lot of different changes there. So I think to your point, that's what a lot of people are missing when they develop and build out projects. It's how many people is it going to take to do this and do this right and how are we going to charge for their time? Those things haven't been defined and well-established within this space throughout, not just the design, the build, and the implementation. For example, um, you know, um, I'd see a lot of people building out Reporting tools and platforms at the moment within Solana, it's great. You know, you've got the development to do that, and I assume that's coming from the public mint funds or the funds that you've got from Mint to build these out. I remember doing a consultancy with one with one person a few weeks back, and I said, "That's great, you're going to build it, but if it's an analytics project or program, who's going to keep training the model? Who's going to keep monitoring its uptime and ability? Because that costs money to keep and maintain." It's not just a matter of building something and leaving it there. You've still got to train that model. So it's you've also got to not look at the build costs, but you've got to look at the, the maintenance and the monitoring costs as well. So that's kind of what I bring it from in real life to what's possible in Web3.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of those concepts that a traditional consulting firm would be bringing to the table with a traditional corporation to optimize whatever needs to be addressed within their firm are relevant within the Web3 space and to NFT projects as well. I know with or at least from my understanding with, with PG Consulting, really where it's at right now is you as an individual sort of advising certain projects on strategy and whatever they might need insight with. Have you ever considered maybe like expanding that into more of like an enterprise and having your own in-house team of those different roles that you just described as the senior consultant, the business analyst, the project manager? Is that something that you would want to sort of build out within PG Consulting? Or are you looking to sort of keep it more as a solo, independent contractor type of thing.
1: I think that comes down to your personal work balance in your life. You know, I think I've had many times, a lot of people in the last six months say, you should do your own project, you should build your own out and work through that. And whilst I'd love to do that, I also understand that there's a lot of cost and effort and time that takes away from time with my kids, takes time away from my wife, and can blur the lines between what I see as work. And what I see is what was fun as a hobby is now work as well. It's more a question as to, you know, your your mental health as to how do you maintain that balance and can you do that? I think if there was an opportunity where, you know, at a commercial financial level that was more beneficial to do this space compared to how I do things currently in in real life, I'd I'd probably take that opportunity then and and build that out. But at the moment, I'm not at that level that I see valuing growing it yet. But it's always going to be there on my mind. Can I grow out those teams? Can I build that? But I, I guess the advice here is that it's not easy to build a, a company or build a brand, and there is a lot of stresses and pressures. I pressures I've seen from people in communities where they buy into a project and they just fud it or get really upset when their investment hasn't gone the right way. And you know, I've got two kids under five that are growing up, so to me, that's probably more important to maintain that balance of health and, and sort of <laughs> sanity. But no, look, I, I think there's always a view that I'd love to grow the brand and grow the group and grow it out and that will come from when I see a demand for that and that it will make it easier for me um in future. I think it, it, it's very possible it could come but then I think what what my advice is here: you need to be firmly plant on the ground, build it out first, make sure you're comfortable before you start doing that because there is also a huge amount of risk that if you don't do it well, well then your, your name or your brand or what you're trying to achieve can, can go in the opposite direction.
2: Could not agree more. And I want to ask you, as a as a project advisor and as a, I mean, company advisor, all the same. Are there any challenges in particular that you would highlight that you run into pretty often? I mean, it could be anything from like literally communication to managing resources or people or ignorance, arrogance.
1: If I look at all the ones I've spoken with, all have different values, all different propositions. It's crazy to say this, but the majority of them don't think about the user. It's kind of weird for me to say that, but that's majority of people forgetting about the user experience and sentiment to their project. A lot of the projects that I've spoken with have been saying, we're going to do a DAO, we're going to do a roadmap, we're going to build out a project, we're going to do staking. Almost the same words that everyone else talks about. And I would say, "What? who's your target audience? Oh, It's going to be DGEN flippers. Awesome great you jump in and then what oh, and then they're going to stay within the group and we're going to build this out well hang on mate you just said you're going to approach the flippers the flippers are going to buy a project and leave oh no 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 they'll stay because what i'm building here is this how confident are you in that how confident are you that you can retain a dgen flipper target audience in your project and if you're building this out how long is that going to take to build that out? Oh, it's, it's probably going to take us six months. So let's take it back and peel back a step. So you're telling me that the DGEN is going to be your main audience and they're going to wait four to six months for the project to be built. They're just going to sell your project and wait and come back in later. Have you as a project owner thought about what that will mean to your project when you see half of your community jump out within the first two weeks? How are you going to address those concerns at a community level going, where are we at? Why are we doing this and what's happening? And and then also, I think one of them that I was talking to, a few of them I talked to around gamification of tokens and things like that. And I said, that's great. You can gamify that if you really want to. But again, how is your user going to play the game? And if their mindset is, you know, targeted towards white lists and in and out of discords to build, they won't have time to play your game. So I understand that you're, Suggesting that they will play your game or that they will join it, but what's the reality? You know, you, And I think that's kind of what I've noticed. It's people assuming that it will happen when in, in, in actual fact they need to be thinking critically and de-risking every step of the way to, to answer and avoid those issues that pop up. Issues will always pop up. You know, I don't think any project I've ever dealt with, even in, in my real life, you know, I've had situations in real life where it is horrible. Like it is, we are well underscoped or well underpriced or the customer's taking us on a journey or there's, there's legal issues there. I guess that the, the mindset that people need to be in is that sort of de risk perspective, but then also how is that project or how is a product gonna function at a user level and why would they do what you think they'll do, essentially.
2: Very, very, very well said. A lot of DGen flippers, man, they'll just they'll spend money on anything that they think will make them a quick buck and they won't really be invested in the community. And to some extent it makes me wonder like the overall market liquidity in the Solana ecosystem, it seems to be the case that a lot of it is geared towards kind of riding the wave a little bit, not really engaging, not really having any incentive to stick around with the community, and then kind of getting out once your net worth improves a little bit. You know what I mean? And to that extent, I wonder, do you think the Solana ecosystem is in a healthy place right now with the amount of like flippers mentality? And let me put it to you this way to clarify, like, even in a lot of more established discords where people trying to kind of learn how to fend for themselves, the questions or the the focus isn't really about how they can add value to their particular community. Not to say that it doesn't exist. Of course it does. But I would argue that the focus is on how do you protect your liquidity? How do you snipe an upcoming project that could be like low market cap right now and then it'll pop off after a couple announcements that they're trying to do something really interesting? I personally see a healthier market in the sense that when people decide that they want to contribute to different collections in whatever way they can add value with their specialized knowledge or whatever it is that they know, I think that'll create collections that are far more valuable than the way that it's currently being done in mass right now. And I wanted to get your thoughts on both what I said and just the whole ecosystem. And do you see it as immature? Do you see the quick flips as bad? And what's the room for growth that you see as well?
1: I was thinking about this a few, there was a a bit of a heated conversation recently I I listened to on a Twitter space with, between a few DAOs uh, last week, and it kind of hit a home to me that the Solana ecosystem, I would say is, is kind of healthy, but, you know, when you compare it to Ethereum in terms of the, what they're doing and, and how much money's in there, I think Solana's, I think, I think Solana's in an okay state, but what I would say though is that the reason why we have DAOs and community of flippers and those behaviors are very prominent within the market is because of the high risk associated to projects that haven't thought about their fundamentals, you know, haven't thought about their deliverables, haven't thought about how they're gonna do things. I think the majority of projects out in the market are high risk and don't look like long term projects to invest in. And Because everyone wants to buy in, if they're part of a DAO or a community, they all as a collective go, we're all jumping out because we don't know. So it allows those that sort of human behavior to go, I'm going to go buddy up with everyone to understand that they're either staying or flipping. And I think where I'm trying to get at here is is I'm I'm feeling that because of the immaturity of projects, they create a higher element of risk to hold, which then promotes the behaviors of flipping that makes sense if there was projects that came out that were well defined had a target audience that had a, a staking benefit i would see a lot more of those projects being held by the DAOs or held by people without flipping What i'm trying to get it is i think fundamentally if the majority of projects came out on solana that had roadmaps defined that had the group of docs that had You know, certified and that it was, this is what we're going to do over the next six months and this is how we're going to fund it. I don't think there would be many issues within the Solana ecosystem. I think it's because the majority are not at that level. It promotes the flipping mentality.
2: And I think that at least in the ETH space, there's a lot more kind of focus on the culture, like a lot more culture projects are coming out, reasons why people kind of identify with a particular collection maybe and want to stick with it a little bit more. And you'll notice that way more often in ETH, the smarter money will want to stay with their project. They're incentivized to not necessarily contribute, but at the very least, they're not risking a good chunk of liquidity when they're getting value from whatever is being built inside of that space. I think you touch on a crucial point there.
0: Yeah. And to your point, PG, I mean, projects, a lot of projects, not all, are really taking advantage of that liquidity in the space due to that sort of quick flip mentality, which is why we're seeing this vicious cycle of, you know, projects taking advantage quick flippers making a quick buck, so on and so forth. And that's sort of extracting that liquidity away from the more like solid long-term projects who are here to build and aren't going anywhere anytime soon, which there are two sides to that coin. But on the topic of finances and just money investments in the Web3 space, There is a huge lack of transparency around payment and compensation that, you know, different people are making, being in different roles, supporting projects. And so to alleviate some of this, we're wanting to create like a repository of average income in the Web3 space. You're comfortable with sharing what you make in a typical month from your advisor services, and we would love to get a little insight into that.
1: Yeah, no, look, I'll I'll be very honest. At the moment, it's free. Um, I'm not charging. My view at the moment is I'm trying to develop my my service and product. So to me, it's these 10 or 15 that I've worked through are more of a where do I need to have my service and what cost it should look like. So at the moment, the last month has been free consulting so that I can gain the feedback and understand of what they would want out of a consultancy. So at the moment, it is $0. But what I would say is the going rate in the market across, you know, in in real life, if I was going to buy or charge for a an advisor, an architect, or anyone like that, you're generally talking about, now I'm in Australian dollars. I think my 140 is your 100. I think it's around that sort of price, 1.4. I would say that generally, at a senior level, you should be charging $200 an hour at a very senior level. And then at someone who's more of a lower level resource, I'm saying lower in the sense of not as a principal, you're generally talking about 150 to 170. So that is the current corporate rate for someone to buy someone's time to do something, whether that's, you know, I need two hours to document something or two hours to talk to you about something. So if you're talking about $200, you're talking about one to two sol per per hour to do that of, of someone's time. So that's kind of how I see the price. And I think when I've seen rad rugs before in the past around what they charge, it depends on what the deliverables are and what the engagement is. But, but I see that you should be able to charge one to two sol an hour if you've got that sort of level of principleness to you. I think the other part that a lot of people miss as well when they do consultancy, or at least a paid engagement, and I've noticed this with other consultants as well, is they're paying you for an outcome. They're not paying, you know, yeah, you can talk to, you can pay someone one to two soul to talk about something. You know, this is my advice and this is what you should do. But really the value is, can you give me something back in return? And so sometimes I find that rather than charge hourly because conversations can go for a long time. You don't want to stifle the conversation just to say, sorry, our hour is up. You can look towards going, well, let's have a quick chat first. And if you want me to come back to you with a sort of a report card based on, you know, 10 things that I I don't like or 10 things I do like or know you need to think about these things so uh an example that we use quite heavily in corporate space is a, a rag report rag is red amber green and and simply red means it's not good yellow means or amber means you've got something here but it needs more work and green is you're on track per se so why couldn't you formulate some sort of report card and then that would be a charged item It would be saying hey look If you if if you give me one to two two soul or whatever you know let's say if it's two soul that's for maybe one to two hours of work so you could say look for two soul we'll have a chat I'll take notes down and then I'll come back to you with a bit of a report card back to you that's your investment. That's kind of how I see it. You need to provide something back in return for the price that someone's going to pay for you. And luckily, I'm in a position that I don't need charge for services. You know, I think once I've kind of up this in the next month, I'll be able to come back to people and say, this is how much it costs, and this is how much I'll charge you. The other challenge that I have, just me personally as well, is a lot of the conversations are based in the US. And so with US time, I can only do it during 4am to 6am and maybe at 10 p.m. to 12 p.m. So I've only got four hours. So I need to also appropriate my time and effort to who I'm going to talk with and then who am I going to give back a report back. You know, I think the worst thing that a consultant can do is take on more. I see a lot of consultants going through a lot of consultancy and the output they provide back to the person is of a low quality. So I'm I'm a big firm believer in start small, build the output and then scale when you can
2: approach couldn't make more sense. Unfortunately, you're in a position where you don't really have to take the money. So you can really focus on what the value that you're delivering is. And that's awesome. Of the things that you're able to control, just, I mean, I guess, starting with that as a base point, and I know this is a hard question. Where do you see yourself in three to four months?
1: I'm sticking around in the NFT space. At the moment, I've gone from you know, 100 followers on Twitter to about 700 in the last six to seven weeks. So for me, it's just organic. I don't do any like retweets or any of those inorganic conversations. And you've got to set realistic goals. So I think if I can get to 2,000, 3,000 followers, I'd be happy with that as a success. Having 2 to 3,000 people on your Twitter organically allows other sort of projects to come and talk to you a lot more. So I think the focus for me is on my social presence and and my community presence, because that will inorganically grow opportunities for me to either consult or to be part of projects. So I, I kind of see in three months' time just a, a continual increase of my social presence, and I think that will translate down into more meaningful conversations with people. I also think during the next three months, back ops within Soul Army will increase as well, and I also see that from a from a one of one art collection. I said it's a big market; they're coming up. I, it's, I, I don't think people have realised how big that market opportunity is right now. It's it's pretty huge. And and I can see myself being a contributor to that as a collector and prominent there. So that's kind of what I'm working towards tangible outcomes where I can kind of just focus on, you know, organic growth.
0: Awesome. Well, PG, that is everything we had for you. Thank you so much for joining us today. This conversation has provided a lot of perspective just on like the business behind the NFT space and how a lot of those traditional corporate methodologies and concepts really transcend into what's happening here in Web3. And this has been a very refreshing twist on the discussion about NFTs. So we really appreciate your time and it's it's been a pleasure having you.
1: Thanks. So let me jump on. I, I see a lot of value in Web3 Connect, and so I'm a big supporter there. And just just one last thing, i would just mention and add to. When you're on your social media, you know it is okay to say no. It is okay to put your foot down on the ground and say I don't agree with that project. Or, I don't see that. I do challenge a lot. I, I want to leave a bit of a challenge for people listening. On what I see a lot on social media is a lot of people just like retweeting and thinking it's all good. What I would hope is that people start to challenge that thinking and saying, well, no, I don't agree with that. Or no i don't see that and because we don't have that sort of balance that's why we're seeing the behaviors we have today
0: mm, very very good point and food for thought to end that off there because i mean i think challenging mm. things is the only way that will grow and evolve from the current state so very good point
1: awesome thanks so much guys uh good time to now start the morning on a saturday so i'm very happy
0: yeah man our pleasure to have you thanks for coming And that is everything we had for you today, guys. Don't forget to follow PG on Twitter. That's at P-E-E-G-E-E-N-F-T. You can find us over on Twitter at Web3ConnectX. And don't forget to drop in Discord if there's somebody specific you want to hear on the pod, and we will try our best to get them on for you. But for now, we'll see you next time.